comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. Is this a five-minute argument or a full half hour? You have 30 minutes to move your car. Your car. You have 30 minutes to move your cube. Your cube. You are listening to a half hour wasted. Eat before expiration date. of a half hour wasted. I'm Frank Hamburger Sandwich Rincon. I'm Brad Ham on Rye Milo. And I'm Bill Patty Melt McGonnell. Mm, love that Patty Melt. As much as a hamburger too. sandwich, though. I'll it's put, I'll put hamburger like yellow sandwich. tomato. I'll put like a, a yellow mustard on it and uh, tomato ketchup. And, uh, and man, that just makes my hamburger sandwich just so good. Man, I should have invited you guys over last night. We had delicious hamburger sandwiches at the house, homemade. <laughs> mm. I made them, I squashed them with my own cleaned hands. I did it, mm. I did the old fashioned way, man, from scratch. Yeah, I, I do it the new fashioned way. actually got a cow in the backyard. Through. You disinfect yeah, we, we first, got a cow Bill? In the backyard and I borrowed some ham from it. Hey, th- this is only for Brad and Bill. Here's what it looks like when I get a hamburger. Hi, uh, yes. I had number one. Thank you. Okay. Hi. <laughs> With a Coke, please. <laughs> Can I get ketchup? Thank you so much. Did you go, nice. did you back up? Did you just back up in the drive thru lane to do that? I backed up to get my ketchup, my tomato ketchup. All right. You forgot my ketchup. We are uh, going for, for to, our listeners out there. Yeah. I made it look like I, I was doing a drive-through with our with my Skype window. Yeah, it was great. That's right. We're gonna jump I right back it. into uh, discussing the Mandalorian. Uh, we are starting with Chapter Five, The Gunslinger, written and directed by Dave Filoni. Now, when we last saw our hero, the Mandalorian, he had just left the planet with the child in tow. So this starts out with the Mandalorian defeating a pursuing bounty hunter in a dogfight in space. He's in space. His They're fighting it out. He gets damaged. He lands his damaged ship at a nearby repair dock run by mechanic Peli Mato in Mos Eisley on Tatooine, of all places. The mechanic, by the way, is played by Amy Sedaris, um, who has worked with John Favreau in the past. She was in the movie Elf. She was like the receptionist that sat outside the the boss's um, the boss's office. Anyways, okay, here we go. She was she was also Jerry and Strangers with Candy. That, okay. that's you know that's her okay. huge, and, thing, of course, and and sister to uh, uh, the other Sedaris, uh, David Sedaris. David Sedaris, so, yes. Yeah. Anyway, go on. Yes. Uh, the Mandalorian seeks work in a cantina to pay for the repairs meeting aspiring bounty hunter Toro Calican, who is tracking elite mercenary and assassin Fennec Shand, played by the great and wonderful... Who is it, Bill? Fennec Shand? Oh, my God. Um, uh, I only know her character name. I suck. May? Uh, Really? May? What? Seriously? Come on, guys. It's Ming Na Wen. Ming Na Wen. Ming Na yes. Wen. Okay, thank you. I love her. I love her very we lo- much. We, uh, we love her on Agents said, of Shield. Me. We love her on Agents of Shield. Anyways, so uh, to capture uh, Fennec Shand, Calican needs to catch Shand to join the guild. She is his ticket in, and he feels. And the Mandalorian agrees to help when Calican offers to let him keep the reward money. They capture Shand in the desert, but she destroys one of their speeder bikes. So the Mandalorian goes to get a do back that they passed 
on the way in for transportation. While Calican watches Shand, she tells him that the Mandalorian betrayed the guild, making the bounty on him and the child worth more than the bounty on her. Shand offers to help Calican capture the Mandalorian if he sets her free, but he shoots her instead and rides the remaining speeder bike to the repair dock, taking Mato and the child hostage. The Mandalorian arrives, uses a flare to disorient Calican and kills him. He takes Calican's money to pay Mato for the repairs, thanking her before leaving Tatooine. Out in the desert, a mysterious figure approaches Shan's body. Now, before we get into discussing the episode, let's just... We mentioned previously the rumor that Boba Fett will appear in Season 2 of Mandalorian. There are some people that saying this mysterious figure that approached Shan's body was, in fact, uh, Boba Fett, but we never got an answer for who that was in Season 1. That's just kind of a thing that's been left hanging. So maybe we'll find out that that was, in fact, Boba Fett. But that's another discussion for another time. So, I love this episode. J.J. Abrams wanted something mystery box, so they gave him that one. J.J. Abrams has nothing to do with this. I, yeah, I was, but, uh, but he likes you know, Star Wars, and he wanted to put things. He wants to put things in mystery boxes, so they gave him one. Okay, I, I, that's, that's I was I under the I was under the impression, though, I based on nothing that this was a character we meet in the last episode or that's, the second to last episode. That's more than likely kind of what I thought yeah. it was. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, let, let's let's this episode. This episode's great. I love this yeah. episode. Hey, I loved- you know when they when they call like plane battles or spaceship battles, they call them dog fights. But th- that's not how dogs fight. Fight dogs get into it, you know. And they they don't chase each other and like shoot teeth out their mouth. They they get in it and stuff like that. Don't you think that's weird? Shouldn't they call it like a bird fight or yes, or a should. plane fight? <laughs> That's a good point. Well, and, and uh, uh, dog fights, by definition, uh, happen on a 2D plane. Yeah. You know, unless, unless dogs are, like, jumping up into trees and launching themselves at each other and stuff. You know, that's, that's Frank, you've blown my mind, man. I'm writing to Merriam-Webster today and now. letting him know that they Fantastic. need to So we see, um, we see this new aspiring bounty hunter in the cantina. Let's talk about this. We friggin' see the cantina. I'm pretty sure it's the cantina we saw in A New Hope. Is it not? And if I'm not mistaken, it is. He is it sitting. Is Los he is, it is sitting at the the booth where we see Han Solo shoot Greedo. Yes, That's absolutely right. Oh, so great, so great, and wonderful. So did it, they it is some the really set? nice fan service that is not oh. Uh, obvious fan service like like you can watch it as a huge fan and go that is so cool but as a someone who maybe doesn't know anything about uh, um, Star Wars that scene still works I don't Agreed. know if they yeah. they had to have recreated that cantina right Pain, no. I mean, painstakingly my assumption, my assumption is that uh, the original was probably didn't they didn't they shoot the the interiors uh, over there in uh, in England right I think so am I just crazy yeah, no i think so. so it's like did they ever destroy that set is there any chance they put that set into a storage room and know, left for the next 40 years what, um, what also yeah. is great about this cantina is that it is now run by droids wearing a, a new hope he's like <laughs> we don't serve your kind here and now they friggin' run the place <laughs> that i hadn't thought about that that's incredibly ironic wow um yeah this is uh uh if oh, we also see that, pit droids in this episode too. Oh my! From episode one. Yeah, oh, if you yeah. thought the last episode well, kind of let on, off yeah. the uh, gas, then this episode puts the uh, puts the pedal directly uh, to the metal again. Uh, yeah. it's fantastic. I like all the callbacks, and this one obviously was to the to those droids in episode one. Yeah, it's really cool. I, I dig it. Um, I like this episode a lot. You know, it's kind of the. The chase. This was the chase episode, you know. Um, well, I guess it was one of a couple chase episodes. 
Yeah, although the kid, oh my god, the the kid was one of the first instances in this show of like, oh man, this guy just feels like a very generic, you know, antagonist. And uh, and uh, I mean, you're supposed to kind of hate this kid, but or at least I guess you're supposed to. I know I did. Yeah, I didn't. Um, I didn't care for him. He really got on my nerves. I think maybe no, that was pretty much kind of the point. Was pretty much for him to get taken out immediately. <laughs> I was I was actually surprised that they uh, that he was killed and didn't like save him to come back later for revenge or something like that. Uh, yeah. but I am, but I am glad that, that he, you know, we did see Mando kill. I mean, at least it shows he, he still, he still has the ability to, he, he's not a softy. He will still kill when it's necessary. So like uh, last, uh, last week's episode was a, uh, an homage to uh, the seven samurai. Uh, this episode is an homage to the uh, uh, John Wayne, uh, John Wayne connection propping back up again. Uh, John Wayne and Jeffrey Hunter, the original Captain Pike, uh, in The Searchers, uh, a movie that I haven't seen since I was probably twenty, and so I don't remember a dang thing about it. Hmm. But uh, but yes, um, uh, uh, this is uh, I. I I've seen multiple uh, reviews of this episode all say the same thing that, Oh, this is modeled after uh, John Wayne's the searchers. It's like, okay, well, cool. I, I like, uh, I like Jeffrey Hunter. Um, I like uh, John Wayne. So, uh, um, yeah, I, maybe I'll like this. It turns out weird. I did like this episode. I liked seeing, um, the Tuscan Raiders, you know, and how they're, they needed something for them to, they had to barter for passage into their land and I love how they how they gave him a bit of culture, and he had to speak with your hands with yeah, them. Uh, yeah. That was a that was a. I don't know if that has ever been established, but that moment was just a nice world building thing. I mean, we now know something new about the Tuscan Raiders. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, that was really cool seeing him. And I wondered if, you know, we've heard that the Tuscan Raiders communicate with each other in those barks and. Like you know, they sound like seals, you know, stuff like that. I don't think we've ever seen him do the hand signal thing with each other. Um, but that was funny. He was like, "Hey, give me those binoculars." I thought he was gonna, you know, use them to look, but nope. Turns out he needed to. That's how they they got their way in across their land. Those were new. Yeah, yeah that 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 part was uh, was a little on the nose. Where, where the uh, the kid was annoyed because hey. Hey, that's my stuff. You know, speaking of the kid, um, that is Jake Conaval, whose father is Bobby Conaval, the the comedian actor. I don't know if you're. I'm not aware of either of them, but yeah, I mean, he's he's been. He was Bobby Conaval was uh, the uh, was uh, Judy Greer's new husband in Paul Rudd's Ant Man movie. Oh, okay. Very good point. He was also. uh, Did you see Mr. Robot, Frank? Uh, no. Okay, well then uh, you won't get the Bobby <laughs> Cannavale was in Mr. Robot reference, so I'll just stop right there. Yeah. This episode, look you it know, up, kids. It's pretty simple, and and I'm not sure there's really a lot of depth to it, um, and really not a lot lot of discussion points. I mean, there's some cool things in it, you know. Uh, the 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 baby Yoda, he's a rascal. He gets out of the thing, and you know the the the. Uh, mechanic lady you know grows grows fond of him you know uh, some type of maternal instinct yeah. kicks in um well, it was, uh, and, it was and i'm surprised of- that that mando like when he sees the baby is missing he doesn't like automatically threaten to kill the mechanic uh be- but you know she comes in holding him and kind of r- reads him the riot act about like you can't do this with the baby surely you know that um Overall, though, the episode was was fun. There were some good moments to it, and uh, it, it shows what a pro Mando is, too. The way he communicates with, with other people to kind of get what he needs. There's some give and take there, and and he's willing to take advantage of the situation with this kid where he can get money, but, you know, help a kid out, and still everyone wins. From my point of view, and this is from Brad's point of view, this episode suffers from the well-known actor being in a, you know, a a movie or a 
a TV show. It it felt like a stunt. It felt like stunt casting to put Ming Na Wen in this mm. uh, in a in a Star Wars thing. Um, yeah, well, this, it, this episode it, was rife with it because Amy Sedaris was just yeah, as exactly. much stunt casting. It was like this whole episode was just one big stunt cast. Hundred yes. percent. This is I mentioned it on the show before. I liked. You know, watching Guardians of the Galaxy, but as soon as Glenn Close showed up, I was like, "What? Why is <laughs> why is Glenn Close in this thing?" Same thing happened with Tom Cruise's War of the Worlds. This is Tom. It's a Tom Cruise vehicle. This is a Tom Cruise movie, and then all of a sudden, Tim Robbins shows up for like five minutes. What's the point of that? It just felt like cameo stunt casting. This yeah. I love Ming Na Wen, and I like this assassin character. I thought it was great, but it just felt. Like it brought me out of the story seeing her in it. It brought me out of the story seeing Glenn Close in the Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, and it, there's countless examples of this. Yeah. And and for me, you know, okay, you could say, well, Brad, didn't that uh, happen to you when you saw Carl Weathers, uh, Apollo Creed in in the first episode? Well, it might have, but he's you know has continued to appear in the in the show and. He's become a part of it, you know. Um, but this it, one, it, it's it's just weird when when the character when they use a a, a well known actor or actress to play a character, and that character kind of could have been played by anybody, you know. Um, um, that that's the case with the Glenn Close character. It's like you know that's cool she was in it, but I don't think Glenn Close brought anything to that. Uh, to that character uh, Agreed. that any other actor, competent actor or actress could have done. And it could have been, it, you could make the argument that in fact, Ming-Na Wen did bring something to this, especially like in the hand-to-hand combat type of stuff. Yeah. She, you know, that's what she does very well on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But, but, you, have to, but you have to believe that she's going to come back uh, and be not a regular on the series, but, but uh, until you know, she come gets back killed. Yeah. Until she well, gets she was shot dead. No, uh-huh. she was. Yeah, I mean, she, but she was saved. She I mean, was, we, we was know she? she's. No, she got shot dead, and then the the See, mysterious I, figure just approached her. Oh, uh, I assumed that that figure was, was going to save her. Or okay. See, and I I assumed that she was dead in a doornail. That's what that, I did. Uh, the the gunslinger coming up was just like, oh, let me let me see what's on this person's body that i might like to, to scavenge I, I also felt that she was dead maybe she won't this has happened you know it always happens we assume somebody's yeah. dead and then oh they're they're alive you know I, I will Palpatine. I'll, yeah I'll leave room for uh, for me to be wrong it's it has happened before but, sure uh, yeah i was I, I never really had any doubts that uh, ooh man, uh, uh, this character is gonna get saved in the nick of time and it's like yeah she's she seemed pretty dead um okay. So we we don't uh, we don't know that there's technologies that can do that now. Now maybe uh, maybe if she heard the, the the sad story of Darth Plagueis the Wise, you know maybe then there's a chance. And I'm just and all I'm just saying, you're just saying there's a chance. So you're saying there's oh, a chance. Yeah, about one in a million, but it's a chance, man. So yeah, Frank, I'm, I'm I I don't agree with your conclusion, but I'm saying. There's a chance. So I, I may have misremembered it because I seem to remember the episode of her coming to at the very end when that figure walked up. But no. apparently I'm remembering it wrong. So. Yeah, our brains do that a lot, you know. Yeah. That's called the Mandela effect when we think we remember something that didn't happen, but we're 100% sure that it happened. Yeah. yeah. All right, I think there's really no, no more to say about Chapter 5, so let's move on to well, Chapter well, if you got something, okay. Bill, let's let's hear it. Oh, I was just uh, I, I just thought there were some interesting notes. You know, like you said, this is the first time that we've seen a uh, this is the first episode that was uh, completely done by one person. It was written and directed by Dave Filoni, mm-hmm. so obviously he's working within a broader structure, you know, broader broader show structure. But this episode truly was his baby, and it felt like he just kind of wanted to make an episode. He just wanted to, this this episode kind of like the fourth episode almost feels like a standalone. Um, it almost feels episodic in, in that they're they're moving the plot forward as far as the overall arc, but but not really much. 
Um, so you know, the, Bill, the I guess I, the first. I guess you could take this episode out, and the series would still flow, wouldn't it? Yeah, you could kind of do the same thing with the fourth episode as well. Um, this is really the this is you know these two episodes are the first time where you you start getting the impression of the first three episodes. I mean, this is going to be just one long episode, like watching Discovery. Uh, or watching Picard or something, but uh, now it turns out that uh, and and Picard is less all one episode than Discovery is my humble opinion. But uh, um, I just I thought it was interesting that this does kind of feel you know as, as we'd said earlier that this series felt like it was heading towards basically just one long you know ten hour long eight hour long episode whatever. Um, this did not feel like part of that, and uh, I I would hate it if they had taken this out um, now. Uh, I thought it was interesting. There were a number of reviews I read that uh, that all came to again kind of the same uh, conclusion that really uh, nothing new happens this episode. They they don't necessarily uh, you know subvert expectations. They don't do this. They don't do that. Now this is the first episode where we got to see a sweet uh, sweet space dog fight, right? Um, this episode starts out yeah. with, uh, with with ships in battle firing laser beams at each other and and going into evasive maneuvers and stuff. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, uh, I, I just think it's really cool that we got to see a little bit of space battle, which is, you know, that's my overall. Um, and then um, uh, I I thought uh, uh, Amy Sedaris, even though it was stunt casting, I thought she was fantastic. Um, and, and yes, um, I guess we can give the Mandalorian uh, some credit for not knowing any better, but uh, she could not have been more right on when she was like, you can't just put a baby in a freaking lockbox and split i mean what if uh what if he'd gotten you know what if he got injured or killed or taken somewhere to get rehabilitated or or you know a coconut falling on his head and he'd lost his memory or you know any of uh, another of a million things that could have happened and all of a sudden you know that baby is basically just uh it, it's left there to starve or to uh you know it's left there to just desiccate and you know you know, 15 years later, you know, they decide to go ahead and sell off the, uh, sell off a ship because he never came back for it. And, uh, you know, they find, uh, this withered husk of a Yoda baby. You know, it's like, that'd be, the that'd Yoda be baby would have gotten out. Yeah. He has proven himself to be a resourceful yeah. little, uh, he'd like uh, to think so, I, yes. Yes. He'd like to think so, but it did absolutely, uh, uh strike me as, uh, well, this is child abuse. <laughs> now, what else is he going to do? I don't know. I don't know. Um, right. You know, the, you know, he clearly, you know, there's, there's no babysitter, you know, he, he clearly can't trust anybody to babysit. Uh, and I guess by this point he does know that, well, this isn't just a baby. There's clearly something more advanced about this creature than it just being, you know, it's not just a pure infant, you know, it already acted on its own a number of times. So, you know, when I say it's clearly child abuse, I'm, I'm mostly joking and, uh, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not trying to get uh, you know the Mandalorian written up by uh, you know child protective services or anything, but uh, I just thought it was uh, an interesting choice and a little bit of that uh, subversion of trope and uh, you know subversion of expectation. And that uh, holy crap, he really did just freaking lock the baby in a cl- in a broom closet and leave. <laughs> it's like, did you really do that? Well, like you said, yeah. what else is he going to do? And he doesn't know how yeah, to be but, a dad. Yeah, and, and again, you know, you understand it based on you know how the storyline is progressing and you know you you understand that you know this is how it you know this is the way um but uh you know it was just it was very interesting that uh, the, the poor screenwriter you know um, couldn't think of any other way out and you know uh, you know, obviously, the whole point of that was so that amy Sedaris would find him and would become uh you know a babysitter and i thought that was just a, it was a really cool moment uh, i i'm uh I'm not just a, a huge Amy Sonoris fan. I, I don't even know what that means, but uh, I thought she was I thought she was great this episode. And we've we've already uh, rehashed uh, uh, what I think of uh, Ming Na Wen and um, and and her greatness. I, I think that the cast, the stunt casting of both these people, made a lot of sense based on what they could bring to the role. That's so, what's great about um, discussions like this, and in our little group in particular, is that we can all feel differently about something and, yes. and and talk about it. I think, you know what? I think the world should take a cue from half hour wasted. And thank you. You know what I mean? That we can all have a calm, rational discussion about something and still agree to disagree about certain things. Right. Amen. Much like you said about chapter five in that it could be a standalone 
that doesn't affect really a lot of the overall arc. I believe you could probably say the same thing about our next episode as well, The Prisoner. Um, it felt like a, a very standalone episode. Um, I really dug this one very much. Um, Me too. Yeah. There was something uh, just kind of fun about it where yeah. you feel, you feel the history the, of the characters. This was the heist episode. Um, directed by Rick Famuyiwa, who's directed one already. Story by Christopher Yost, who is a comic book writer. He's done uh, a lot of, of the Marvel animation um, stuff. He's written a lot of that stuff. He really knows what it's like to be a genre writer here. So, the Mandalorian contacts his former partner Ran Malk for work. This is the guy with the long curly hair, right? Mm-hmm. Ran welcomes him to his space station and informs the Mandalorian that he needs his ship for a five-man job. He is joined by ex-Imperial sharpshooter Mayfeld, played by the wonderful Bill Burr, comedian Bill Burr. It was a, yes. a joy to see him in this. Uh, Deveronian strongman Berg, played by the incomparable Clancy Brown. Just amazing. Oh. Droid pilot Q90 and Twi'lek knife expert Zyan for a mission. I may have pronounced her name wrong. For a mission to rescue Zyan's brother, Kin. I won't say Quinn because it sounds a lot like Quill. Actually, I do believe they do pronounce it Quinn, so I will say that. A prisoner of the New Republic. After infiltrating the prison ship, they fight through security droids and make it to the control room where the ship's security chief triggers a security beacon before being killed by Zyan. Uh, the crew rescues Quinn, but double-crosses the Mandalorian. He escapes and defeats each crew member, then captures Quinn. Q90 finds the child after deciphering the archived transmission from Grief Karga, but is shot by the Mandalorian before he can harm him. The Mandalorian delivers Quinn to Ran and departs with his payment. Ran immediately moves to launch a fighter to kill the Mandalorian, but discovers the New Republic beacon had been placed on Quinn, leading a trio of X-Wings to Rand's station where they attack. In the final scene, Mayfield, Berg, and Zion are revealed to be locked in a cell on the prison transport, having been spared by the Mandalorian. I love this episode. So much fun. There, yeah, there's so much to to like, especially the, uh, the one rebel uh, human on the ship and that talk where they... Um, try to convince him not to send the signal and how it would benefit everybody. And it's like a real moment where you see the Mandalorian trying to do the right thing with, with the least amount of, of, uh, death. Um, go ahead. I was going to say, I I was shocked, uh, to find at the end that he had not actually killed, uh, those, uh, those, those jerk double crossers. Maybe I should have waited until later in the episode. And no, uh, no, the, you know the Twi'lek is going to come back because she's going to be mad that he killed her brother. Right. Yeah. When I, when we saw the trailer for um, The Mandalorian before any of the episodes aired, there was a really quick shot of Bill Burr from this episode. And I thought to myself, that can't possibly be Bill Burr in The Mandalorian. Turns out it was. I watched a, a little interview of him where he said he met John Favreau at a birthday party and he offered him a role of star, you know, to be in the, in the star Wars TV show. And Bill Burr said, he's never been a fan of star Wars, but he did it anyway. Um, but yeah, this was great. And if you're a, a familiar with Bill Burr's comedic style, he was being himself pretty much in, <laughs> in this episode. And I, Ooh, I really liked the reference to stormtroopers not being good shots. And I can't remember his exact quote, but he said, you know, I wasn't a stormtrooper, you idiot. You know, I was was a sharpshooter. That's why I could hit stuff. That's why I'm good for this job. I wasn't a normal stormtrooper who couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. Yeah, he does take offense to it. Yeah, yeah. And he was he was basically just being himself. I thought that was pretty cool. You know, oddly enough, this seeing him did not affect me in that negative way in which I just described for our last episode. I don't know why. I don't have any idea. Weird. Can't explain it. Um, I, I, I had a feeling. I knew that they were going to betray him. You know, they just needed his help to get in. 
They just needed a they just needed a driver, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, if, if heist movies has taught us anything, something always goes wrong, or there's always some type of twist that nobody was expecting. But that's what kind of makes heist movies fun in itself. Uh, yeah, th- this episode was just just a lot of fun for me. And as I said earlier, I love learning about the history of these. People like like uh, Mando has a relationship with with several members of this crew that uh, you know we may never learn more, but it's just kind of cool. That's like, hey, you know, was there a re- was there a romantic relationship with him and her? You know, what were the jobs that he did with the uh, with the other guy in the past? It was just fun for me. I think Dave Filoni was one of the three X wing pilots at the very end. I think he had he a absolutely little, was. Yeah, I think yes, he had a little uh, cameo. Um, uh, Filoni wasn't the only X-Wing pilot cameo, though. He was joined by director Rick Fama, uh, oh, that's right. uh, Yuya as Jib Dodger and yeah. Deborah Chow as that's Sash right. Ketter. That's right. The other two so, uh, so all pilots were, sudden, yeah. And he was Trapper Wolf. Just, so, uh, yeah, fun facts there. Since you what brought up those, those directors, a brief aside, they've, they've started, um, they're two episodes into a docu-series about the making of The Mandalorian, which is uh, available <laughs> on Disney+. Plus. I've seen both. I found it interesting that it turns out that there was like a group of, you know, six directors or so, five or six directors. They all, they each directed individual episodes, and yet they all just kind of worked together on each episode to, you know, talking about characters and talking about ideas. And it was all, it was a very collaborative group effort, even though each director, like I said, had an individual, each episode had an individual director. There was a lot of behind the scenes footage where you could see Bryce Dallas Howard, for example, directing her episode. And yet Deborah Chow and Rick, these two guys you just mentioned that played the the pilots, they were there on set with her, and they were just kind of bouncing ideas back and forth. I think it's really, and I think it served serviced the whole season as as a whole. Uh, I think it it really helped kind of work and kind of just made everything flow. And that's why you know we were talking about another episode, uh, episode four, Bryce Dallas Howard. Frank asked if I felt a little different about this episode. Did it did it feel like a different type of thing? And for the most part, I don't think this um this whole season felt different at all it could have just been directed by one person and in a sense i think it was in that these this group of directors talked about each episode together and and you know just kind of formed they, this whole feeling yeah they definitely agreed on like a house style like yeah. this is how we are going to uh, do this world um or or make this world Brad, going back to that series on Disney Plus, uh, how long are those episodes? Because it's been popping up in my top banner. They're like, and I've been wanting twenty-five minutes. Okay, yeah, they're like twenty. Now, they, it's really uh, well done. This, I haven't spent enough time on Disney Plus. I didn't realize these were out, and I'm fascinated. I, I will get there. I, I want to go to there. Um, they're like once a but, week. Uh, do they do they describe uh, individual episode, or are they just kind of talking about the series as a whole? No, it's not an individual episode per episode of this stories. It's it's just okay. different. Um, it's different ways of approaching the series. You know, um, how cool! Let me see if I can find the the descriptions of those episodes. Um, let's get back into discussing the uh, episode itself. What was y'all's favorite part? As my Old younger child used to always ask me when I'd go take her to see the friggin' <laughs> Winnie the Pooh movie or the Piglet cartoon. Daddy, what was your favorite scene? What was your favorite thing about the movie? I think my favorite part was um, basically where uh, the episode turns into a uh, uh, basically turns into alien there for a few minutes as he's uh, he's escaped from his cell and he's hunting the others down in the dark. You know the the, the couple of POV shots and. Uh, uh, they, I've, I've read, you know, rating reviews, uh, uh, you know, they describe that there are times when you get these horror elements of the show. I wouldn't necessarily go that far, but, uh, uh, but I thought this was, uh, was amazing. That was, it was absolutely my favorite part because leading up to it, you know, 
you do you do kind of see the betrayal coming you know uh, not necessarily from you know uh, a million years away but you know you do see it it's not a total shocker and uh, a lot of the other elements of the show were not surprises necessarily uh, in fact this this whole sequence is not surprising um uh, but uh, I just I had a great deal of fun watching him basically pick these people off one by one, and again the whole time you know you're just assuming that he's you know he's killing these people, and to find out at the very end that no he actually just threw him in a uh, you know he just he cocked him on their heads and threw him in a jail cell to be found you know um, I just I thought that was a, a great twist. Um, again, you know, uh, one thing the show has done well is subverting expectations, but doing it subtly, you know, they're not, I, they're I not was hitting a, you over the head with it. I was, a I was a fan of, uh, similar to Bill, but the, uh, the scene where Mando has to problem solve his way out of that cell. Oh, that was and, great. And, and, and it, it, it seems hopeless, but somehow he figures out a way out of it. I mean, that to me, it just felt like a hopeless situation, but. Somehow he he makes it work. That reminded me of Batman when he did that. Yeah, that was a ve- that was a very Batman <laughs> nice. thing to do. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. A quick aside, Bill. The the season the, the episode one synopsis of this docu series, uh, okay. titled "Directing John Favreau and Season One's Directors," uh, discuss or they pull back the curtain on the Mandalorian. Season two, uh, episode two is called Legacy. The team behind the Mandalorian examines the profound impact of George Lucas's Star Wars. So I think it's going to just kind of be a different okay. topic type of thing throughout the whole deal. Cool. Okay. But um, now when I was watching this uh, episode, the green Twi'lek that was the prisoner that they were going to rescue when he appeared first and started talking I thought to myself, is this Mark Ruffalo? Did anybody else get that vibe? A little Mark Ruffalo vibe, vibe <laughs> off of that guy? I didn't. No? Okay. Maybe it might have just been me. Um, it might have been suggested to me by a, a, a friend who was watching it who asked me about it. And I thought, I don't know, is it? Because for some well, reason, it just kind of has, he had the same facial structure. It turns out it's not at all. I mean, if you want to play Six Degrees, uh, Christopher Yost uh, uh, co-wrote uh, Ragnarok, where you had yeah. a lot of Mark Ruffalo. Yeah, so, but it uh, was not Mark Ruffalo. I just wondered if either of y'all had felt that at all. Maybe it was buried deep in your subconscious. Uh, Mark, Mark Ruffalo is one of those, he is a great, competent actor, but he doesn't really stand out to me, like having a style or anything. Um. Uh, I yeah I, I I never thought it was him for uh, okay I also liked um you know this this series continues to have throwbacks to the old uh, movies um we get to see those little mouse droids in the hallway <laughs> that was pretty cool and um the the uh, when they go in and they find that that one rebel officer who's trying to you know like you said they're trying to convince him not to to yeah. To do the thing, that room he's in felt like a room on the old, you know, that we saw in episode one, like maybe a room on the Death Star. I know that's the Empire is not the Rebellion, but just the set design and decoration felt like old 1977 Star Wars. I really appreciated that. During the fight scene, there is one scene where someone gets thrown against a console and the console does a little jump to kind of reveal its cheapness, <laughs> but you have to be looking for it. I mean, it's sure. not obvious, but it's just, a, it's a moment where someone gets thrown and goes, Oh, look at that. It moved. Yeah. <laughs> I really appreciate the links with which they, they went to make it feel like the original trilogy. And this, this show feels like the original trilogy. Um, Cause you know, it's in the same basic time. It's only five years after I, Jedi. I think, yeah. I think my favorite thing about the, the the Mandalorian, the show to this point, is that you are afraid that with uh, these other these other new you know new age versions of old shows, I'm pretty specifically, I guess, talking about uh, the two new Star Trek shows, where you think you know you're going to get okay, well, Star Trek Picard is going to be a meditation on aging and and you know regret and and you know stuff like that, and then it turns into you know this this epic 
galactic space battle, basically, where we have to save the universe. And Discovery is, well, you know, you have no idea where Discovery's going to go, but uh, sure enough, it, it becomes uh, a season-long arc to save the universe. And I'm exaggerating a tiny little bit for effect. Um, and so I, the, the fear I had with The Mandalorian, that it, there was going to be, you know, an arc where everything, you know, where everything gets ratcheted up to 11 and they're going to have to save the universe. And as we get to the end of this episode, you realize that thank goodness that's not what's going on. I told you, I closed my eyes. I'm not sure what Brad was doing there. Um, but, uh, I'm, it's not I'm important. The scale of the show has stayed, uh, has stayed personal. Um, you know, this this show has not become uh, galactic wide, and we haven't seen the emperor, and we haven't seen. I mean, I realize the emperor was thrown down. Up, yeah, I, I get it, but I'm just glad that this that the story has stayed as as relatively small as it has. I think that's a a fantastic thing, and I I didn't think I would originally dig that. I, I I've always been one of those that I want stupid epic galactic scale stories, you know, happening. Um, but uh, in this case, I think they, they really have just freaking nailed this show, uh, certainly in season one. And I hope that they can figure out how to, how to make this a little bit bigger, you know, in season two, um, but not lose the, the absolute charm that we have received uh, from these fairly personal stories here in uh, season one. So, you know, believe them. Well, we do know, and I think we're going to see a little bit of opening up into broader areas. We do know that there will be a, uh, a Jedi character that we know from yep. the Clone Wars uh, animated series, Ahsoka Tano, who, for those that don't know, was Anakin Skywalker's Padawan while in, he was, in fact, Obi-Wan's Padawan. So the Clone Wars, act- the, uh, Clone Wars uh, TV show takes place after it's, it, it, it literally takes place in between episodes two and three. Um, do we think episodes two and three, there's about a year gap in the story? Do we think there's a year or two gap? Did we ever really, did we ever really get an answer about that? It's, you know, basically the Clone Wars started at the end of episode two and they were continuing Uh at the beginning of episode three. So I was always under the impression that there was maybe one or two year gap, the, 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 Clone Wars have been going on that long. I don't think we ever got a definite answer, even after watching... uh, Well, I don't think we got a definite answer from the Clone Wars, but it feels like it's been a couple years. Um, uh, uh, You know, uh, Star Wars has always been very elusive about, like, the time frame between movies. So I I think it's it's as long as it needs to be. I don't think there's a concrete answer. Because if you want, I haven't watched a lot of Clone Wars, but there's a lot of story in Clone Wars. Uh, it, it would it would be hard to believe that all that took place in one year. So I'm thinking uh, it it feels like two, maybe three years. It might have been yeah. as much as three years, but um, you know, because okay, episodes. If it, it says here, um, the the internet is saying here that uh, Revenge of the Sith is set three years after the onset. Of the Clone Wars, okay, which start in Episode Two, so so it may be as long as three years um, from Episode Two to Episode Three, okay, so, which is longer than I would have thought. I, I would have guessed like you, year, um, yeah. you know, a few months, something like that. Well, you know, have at now after having watched all seven seasons of the Clone Wars, it definitely feels like three worth three years worth of stories could have fit in that time frame. So okay. in that time frame, we get to know this character, Ahsoka Tano. Who is a Jedi? She appears to be uh, the, apprentice. She, 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 is a, yeah. she is a Padawan. Yes, thank you. She is a Padawan in the Jedi Order. She is uh, Anakin's Padawan. Um, so there's a bit of a stretch, you know, a suspension of disbelief that a Padawan could actually have a Padawan of his own. But you know, I'll go with it. I'll go. I'll, I'll roll with that. So anyway, we are now have been told. It's been officially announced that Ahsoka Tano will appear. In season two of The Mandalorian. Now, we did see in the timeline, the last time we saw her was in the TV show Rebels, the animated show Rebels, which takes place um, when she shows up probably a couple of years before episode four, A New Hope. So she has survived the purge still. Um, In the Clone Wars, Ahsoka Tano left the Jedi Order because she was basically framed 
by another Padawan to make it look like she did something she shouldn't have done. And what? Yeah. She uh, left the Jedi Order. She left. She gave Anakin, her master, her lightsabers and left. Then now in season seven of the Clone Wars, we see her come back to help capture Maul, who, spoiler alert, never did really die in episode one. But you only know that if you've seen the Clone Wars or at this point, right. this, the movie Solo, he, he shows up. A Star Wars story. Yes, you thank you. You have to say Solo. A Star Solo is Star Wars story. So anyway, she, um, when we see her in Rebels, okay, backing up, originally... Ahsoka used two lightsabers, a long green one and a short yellow one, I think. Might have, maybe the colors were reversed with the lengths. But anyway, she gave those um, lightsabers. Right. Long green, short yellow, yeah. She gave those lightsabers to Anakin. She leaves the Jedi Order. In Season 7, she comes back. He returns her lightsabers to her, but he says he made a little upgrade. Now they're both bright blue. and So that's kind of neat. Anyways, so... And then we, we see... We see the Clone Wars season uh, series end. She's still alive because obviously we see her in Rebels. We don't know how her story ends in Rebels. So now we're going to see her in Mandalorian season two. So getting back to what Bill said, I do believe we're going to see a little bit of an opening up of the the world of Star Wars. We're going to learn a little more. Maybe we might learn a little more about other, you know, how the Jedi survived the purge, that kind of thing. We'll we'll probably hear. We'll have to. Not everybody who watches The Mandalorian will have seen the animated show. We'll have seen uh, Rebels. We'll have read the novel that just came out. Um, we'll have read any of or seen anything other than the movies or the TV show themselves. So um, I think it'll be interesting, and I'm looking forward to it. I believe Rosario Dawson will be playing her. Uh, long been that's, a that's, long. Uh, yeah, so far that's exactly who it yeah. is. Long and been a fan just- casting that that she, um, you know, there have been fans. I think this casting of her led. Uh, I think it happened because fans for years have been saying she should be, she would make a good Ahsoka Tano grown up, and um, okay. I think that's how she ended up getting. She probably deserves the role. She probably auditioned for it and all that stuff, but we'll see her next season. And it'll be interesting to see how they do her prosthetics, her her head, yeah. her head and stuff. Yeah, um, I'm she, looking forward was to a, that. There was a Jedi Shaq T that we got to know in the um, prequel trilogy. She, I believe, Ahsoka Tano is the same race as her. I could be very wrong, but I believe it's the same race as Shaq T, who was who was on the Jedi Council. Um, so back I, uh, to Bill's point, I believe we'll see a little opening, a little bit of an opening up of Star Wars universe in from the Mando's point of view. Am I am I just being reflexively uh, jerk like when my first thought is Rosario Dawson is great. Um, she was great as the night nurse. She's great in everything I've ever seen her in. But it just feels like she's about. 20 years too old to play that role. I, I just, I realize the time has passed, but I'm, I'm probably going to always see Ahsoka Tano is, is that in the few episodes I've seen her, you know, I've seen a couple episodes, you know, of, of Clone Wars, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but uh, I've just, I will always see her as kind of a, a, a bit of a waif, like, uh, you know, kind of a teenager, if you will. When they animated her in rebels, which takes place 19 years later, approximately from the Clone yeah. Wars. Okay. She is a okay. woman. She is a woman. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. She has grown. It's it's been virtually twenty years. Have passed. Okay. All right. Well. Cool. So Thank she you. Is, you she's, you've answered that. Um, she's definitely yes. a woman now. In uh in that and and again that was before Star Wars Episode Four. The Mandalorian takes place five years right. after Jedi. So maybe another an additional eight or nine years have passed. So she's yeah. actually kind of an aging Jedi, not just Definitely. a uh, mature Jedi. Okay, yeah. cool. I could live with that. And, and technically, yeah. she she never did join rejoin the Jedi Order because when she right. came back, the Jedi was in Episode Three, and the and the Jedi Order was destroyed. So right, <laughs> and, they, weren't, and, uh, they weren't doing so well. No, um, and this is kind of a uh, uh, I don't know if this is a spoiler, but. Uh, from what I understand, in the last Star Wars movie, uh, uh, she is one of the voices you hear yes. talking to Ray. Yes, and and so that means that she has passed at well, some point. Uh, and you know, and again, that's another thirty years after. Yeah, 
or at this point, it would have been another 25 years after at least this part of the, the Mandalorian's story. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes. So back to Bill's point, this, this does feel like a little slice of the Star Wars universe. It certainly is not as grand a scope as, as the movies. And I think that's one of the reasons this works so well, is it's not trying to be big. Yeah, and as much as I appreciate the grand scope, I just this it really does feel like this is different, and yeah. this is I, I prize this because of that difference. I think. Yep. Um, again, we are approaching the five zero minute mark. This always seems to be like a good place to stop these episodes. Did you guys have anything else you wanted to to point out about episode six or uh, issue? Yeah, it is episode six, the prisoner. Um, I, I just want to applaud it. I thought it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Um, as I said previously, just all the history we learned of Mando and some of the people we used to work with was fun. Yeah. Um, I've, I've enjoyed the fact that, um, uh, episode one was, was, you know, obviously uh, world changing. Episode two was great. Episode three was great. Episode four and five kind of felt like, uh, uh respites. Um, but then they really just, uh, uh, even though you're not necessarily being driven towards the end of the storyline that you can see coming from a thousand miles away, this does feel like they put the accelerator back down. Because uh, even the gunslinger wa- had a very slow pace to it. And so uh, all of a sudden you're back to a fun heist episode. And, you know, if you're a fan of, uh, you know, oceans, whatever, or, you know, anything in that vein, you know, this episode. Um, thank you, Disney, for letting us have fun watching a show. Um, I, I just, if there's one thing we've figured out in this first six episodes, is that you know there are always you know there are shades, there is you know there is some tragedy, there is some comedy, there is a little of everything. But uh, but son of a gun, you can actually enjoy watching these episodes. You don't feel like you're you know being held hostage. So, uh, uh, so far, so not so far, so good, so far, so great by, uh, uh, Favreau and Rick Fami, uh, we, and, uh, you know, Filoni and, and all these cats, uh, they're, they're creating a wonderful corner of a universe we've never seen. And they're, they're staying within their means. They're, they're not, uh, they're not stretching too hard or too far or too fast. It's just, Everything that's happened through these first six episodes just feels right and feels good and could not be happier about it. So, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Is this a is this a, a five out of five? I don't know. Four and a half out of five for sure. Are we doing four, four and three quarters? Yeah, I'd consider it. Um, so, yeah. Uh, uh, Friggin win. Knocked out of the park again. Thank you. Okay, great. And girls. Well, guys, you've been listening to A Half Hour Wasted, the last commercial-free podcast on the internet. Uh, Please drop us an email at halfhourwasted. No. Follow us on Twitter at halfhourwasted. Email us at halfhourwasted at gmail.com. Let us know what you think of these episodes and just what you've been up to. I guess until next week, we'll finish this up. Until next week, I'm Frank. I'm Brad. And I'm Bill Laserface McGonnell. We'll see you next time on Half Hour Wait. Soon.